Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Nakia and welcome to the Fearless Kia Podcast. Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Fearless Kia. Welcome back to the Fearless Kia Podcast. I hope everyone is at home staying safe during this global pandemic and is finding some peace of mind during this time and staying connected to their loved ones. Um, As you know, I like to start the episode with a quote of the day. So this week's quote of the day is, don't disconnect with yourself to connect with someone else. Mm. That comes from at we, the urban Instagram page. So just in case it wasn't my quote, I got to get credit where credit is due. But without further ado, Let's get into this week's podcast guest. This week's podcast guest, Tunde Ogundipe, is a first-generation Nigerian-American creative technologist. For the past 15 years, Tunde has worked back and forth between Los Angeles, New York, and Lagos, Nigeria, in various executive and advisory roles at companies which include Spotify, Apple, Sony, WME, slash IMG, Endeavor, McCann, Warner Music Group, and Universal Music Group. Tunde currently serves as the SVP and GM of African Music and Culture Intelligence at Sony. Before his current role, Tunde represented Spotify's Global Cultures Division as the global leader of African diaspora music and culture and created Spotify's Afro Hub, a portal for various African music genres, podcasts, and other original content built to connect the continent to the diaspora and empower creatives to live off their art. Tunde also serves as a global ambassador for the following organizations, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Grammy Foundation, and Lagos State Ministry of Tourism. In 2019, Tunde and his late mother, social scientist Helen Ogundipe, co-founded the Dot and Cross nonprofit organization. Dot and Cross aims to improve the quality of life for African diasporan communities in the areas of mental health, education, social analysis, arts, and culture. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Fearless Kiev podcast, Tunde Ogundipe. Thank you for having me. Did I do good? Did I do good with the like, last name? Where it's like That was quite an impressive introduction. If I may say so you know? Did I pronounce your last name right? That, that's really you, you actually killed it. Um, it's not often that I have to, um, you know, not correct anyone how to pronounce my last name. So I'm, I'm actually grateful that you you killed it. For yeah. sure. How are you? How are you holding up in quarantine? Maintaining. Um, grateful. Um, it's been a. It's been definitely a moment of uh, self reflection and uh, using this time period to try to find the the light in the in the dark the darkness around us it's a very yeah. weird of a lot of people in my circle it's a very weird time so i find myself being who i usually am in in stressful situations which is everything for everyone else and trying to maintain the balance of being good to myself as well like trying to make sure that my own um sanity is intact and make yeah. sure that i'm not putting everyone else's emotions and needs and you know before my own yeah, absolutely. And how are you maintaining during this uh, social distancing exercise, this global Listen, social distancing I'm taking it day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have friends like you who check up on me and vice versa. I check up on you guys just to stay connected. Of course, staying connected with my family during this time. Um, and just 
keeping my mind busy. When I say keeping my mind busy, that doesn't mean I'm like being extra productive, but it means like I'm watching my Netflixes and my Hulus and I'm cooking and I'm learning new skills and like doing things like that just to stay like keeping my mind off of thinking, you know, worst case scenario and thinking about the media that continues to feed us with all of like sometimes negative stuff that's not good for our mental health. So I just try to shut it off. Mm-hmm. The universe, the universe definitely listens, and you attract what you focus on. So, um, <laughs> I'm, finding, I'm finding myself <laughs> having myself these things all the time. <laughs> you talk about you attract what you focus on. You, you better come with a bar. You can always find light in the darkness if you choose to. Always. Okay, you better come with a bar. It's well, let's get into today's conversation. I usually like to jump in, so I'm going to ask you. Today, what is your deepest fear? Ah, yikes. My deepest fear. Okay, so my deepest fear um, prior to the summer was losing my mother. Mm. Uh, My mom passed last summer after a um, head injury. And um, now that she's late, I guess the only real fear that I can think of is living a life without intention or feeling like... um, you know, I've achieved security emotionally, um, financially, and spiritually um, enough so where I could build a future with someone, but then later realizing that um, that someone may not be the person for me, or maybe that person is just like attracted for the wrong reasons, and there's like a, there's just a disconnect. That is one of my biggest fears. Um, and you know me well enough to know, <laughs> um, you know, some of the challenges that, um, you know, and a lot of them are self-imposed. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty sure about what I want, and I feel like um, if if I'm not getting what I want, or if I'm not able to offer um, what I know that I can offer to someone, um, I completely shut down. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad habit, um, and I definitely like realize that it's not something uh, positive that I've done in the past. So therapy has definitely helped me kind of like deal with those things. And uh, I do understand the, uh, the reasons why I've developed those uh, defense mechanisms. Um, but I think things have, have, have improved, but that's definitely one of my fears for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did you de- develop that fear? Where, is there certain instances that triggered that um, for you uh, past year post, you know, and rest in peace to your you know, this is a this is an interesting topic to talk about talk about as we're approaching a recession, <laughs> uh, because and I've taken this into account for sure. It's like I'm a young black man and I've worked long and hard uh, to to you know to reach certain um, positions and milestones mm-hmm. in my career, right? So many people from the outside in would look at someone like me and think, oh, finding a suitable partner for Tunde must be easy, like no brainer, right? Um, but I would counter that to say it's actually much harder than anyone could imagine um, because I've, I've always felt like it's easier for people of, you know, people that are in the public eye to attract those, um, to attract people who want them because they're, uh, in the very least, they have the perception of having a disposable income. Mm. Uh, and for, you know, some men, women would see them as marks for that reason. Um, But for black men like me who aren't athletes or rappers or aren't really out there like that, but are comfortable, um, 
meeting women who are equally yoked is definitely still a challenge because we want to attract at least men that I know um, that are like me or think like me. Um, I feel like we consciously want to attract the best women that exist out there. Um, and the best is subjective, right? But for me, it's I was going to ask you, how do you yeah. define equally yoked yeah, to yeah. you? Or what do you define that as based on, True. you know, what are those uh, characteristics? Absolutely. Everyone's definition of perfect, best, all that is definitely um, opinion. Um, in my in my uh, preference, uh, the best woman for me uh, would be someone who's just as interested in values and the security that comes with building a strong back family. Um, that's for me. Uh, so that being said, I meet beautiful, smart, driven, ambitious, all those, you know, any descriptor that would apply black women all the time. Right. But my issue of the things I run into, uh, often is I usually find that they're married or just scarred by like negative experiences that they've had with black men in their past. So it kind of removes the or it limits the chances of success with me before meeting me, right? But what did you say earlier? You attract what you... Absolutely, which is why it's... It, well, wait, it's, what did you say earlier, though? You attract what you... You, you tra- I mean, the universe listens, you know what I mean? So you attract what you, what you put your mind to, you know what I'm saying? For and sure. so do you feel like you were attracting these, these type of women based on certain pieces or characteristics or attributes in you that you saw, you know what I'm saying? That you saw within you as far as, and I'm not saying that you're, you're married. So you're dating another married person and all that, but were there certain attributes about these particular individuals who were smart and driven and successful black women that you saw that may have had passes of themselves that gravitated that energy towards you? Absolutely. And I, and again, I, I say this knowing that I've also dealt with my own experiences, right? Where, you know, I've, I've had awesome women come into my life who maybe things have transpired. You date someone for a long time and life happens, right? So there's certain experiences that I've dealt with that have, you know, that have made me shut down from um, future partners from being able to access my emotions and access my vulnerabilities and allow them to build with me in the ways that, would make them feel secure, you know? So I think that because I'm also having that past, I've attracted women that mm. share a lot of these experiences because that's, that's what I've projected, right? The, like right. I so I think over time, as I've started to kind of deal with my own past and understand that the, the experiences that I've dealt with have kind of impeded on my own growth as a person, I think that um, my success rate with meeting uh, more compatible women has definitely increased, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but the unfortunate reality is that a lot of us have dealt with people that are great for them. Um, the idea of them is great, but then there's often personality disconnects or ulterior motives or unresolved childhood traumas um, in the people that we attract that prevent the potential from progressing past the dating stage. Um, and whenever that's happened with me, I just respectfully bow out. And I'm, you know, I'm not proud of that, but for me, um, I've always felt that protecting my own mental health and my own peace um, came before anything else. And it, and I'm the type of person that if I if I'm with it, if I'm if I'm with you and I'm trying to be with you, I'll ride. You know what I'm saying, Nikia? Uh-huh. You you know me. Mm-hmm. I'm a ride. But when I know that it's 
it's essentially futile and I'm, I'm running my own race and there's not really a lot of reciprocity for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, res- I respect, I respect the situation and I move forward accordingly. And, um, it's, it stinks knowing a lot of like smart, rich, cool black dudes who share the same, um, horror stories about meeting great, great women. That we so let's pause it. Oh, let's pause there. So now, we, now we ask this question. So oh, man. as a black man mm-hmm. um, that knows other black men who are rich and have this experience with other women um, that earns a top percentile income, who holds a high position um, <laughs> within this industry, you're an executive within the tech and music industry. Um, what are misconceptions about how you approach finding a suitable partner misconceptions in what regard what are what misconceptions so there are stereotypes there may be misconceptions um, about black men who hold a certain or earn a certain income high income who are in high positions that they only look for a certain type of woman who you know what i'm saying oh, oh yeah okay yeah i understand what are, the, what are um, the misconceptions about how you approach finding a suitable partner or stereotypes that you want to kind of dispel. Perfect. Okay. So this is, this is a great segue. So a little, a little background about myself for those that don't know. Um, I'm first generation Nigerian American, but I was born and raised in Connecticut. For those who are not aware of where Connecticut is in the United States, it's a very predominantly uh, suburban. Um, it's, it's a very predominantly white state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up around, very diverse but caucasian cultures and then you had all the africans that somehow were in connecticut and then the west indians that you know were in the you know most of them were in the lower income neighborhoods around the neighborhoods that we grew up in right so i got to have a kind of a balance between caucasian cultures and uh cultures that were more like mine right so what i experienced is that the the lifestyles of Caucasian communities where I grew up in the lifestyles of the African or the, the diaspora and West Indian, whatever communities um, were vastly different. And when you turned on the TV and you saw, and you looked to representation of people that looked like you, you would come across the Michael Jordans. You would come across the Steve Urkel. So you would come across, like you would come across certain characters and think, okay, these are the only lanes that are acceptable for us to kind of grow into. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we were projected uh, as kids. And that's what a lot of these Caucasian kids I grew up with, that's what they perceived, perceived for us as well. It's like, oh, you're smart? Nah, nah. If you're, if you're not Urkel smart, then, I mean, any other sort of smart doesn't make sense. That's not your lane. Like, you should just stick to, you know, being that guy or being Michael Jordan or, be, you know, playing basketball or being, you know, you, you, you can golf if you want to golf because Tiger Woods can golf. It's like we were limited to whatever they saw on TV. Mm-hmm. That being said, a lot of the athletes that we saw growing up, a lot of the successful black men that we saw in the media were typically dating white women or, or uh, attracting women that weren't of their cultures. ambiguous. Ethnically ambiguous, whatever, right? So, but I knew because of the family I grew up in that I didn't really see that in real life. So I was always kind of confused, like, why are all the older black men that seem to be really successful in this country why do they only kind of gravitate towards one type of woman? Like, is, is there a disconnect that I'm missing because I just haven't been exposed to that world yet? And as I got older, I started to realize that it wasn't just on TV. Like, I was around a bunch of 
people that were successful. I was in meetings, I was at dinner parties, I was at et cetera. And a lot of their partners were of these black men that had reached a certain level of success were not black. And I started to kind of wonder why that was. I never really understood why um, until I started kind of having these conversations with my peers. And then I realized that it's not necessarily um, the, the stereotype is not the norm. It's just a microcosm of, 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 of what's actually happening. But it's, I'm only seeing that because I'm dealing with a specific industry that kind of normalized that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know a lot of successful black men now, like I'm saying, like I've said earlier, that have only dated black women that have married black women that have mm-hmm. all black families that really push that narrative out there as much as possible. Right. So first time I met someone like Denzel Washington, right. You, and anyone that knows of Denzel, you know, that he's a family man, you know, his, his kid, is, you know, his son is also following his footsteps doing you know what he does, but his wife is one of the most empowering women that I've ever met. Right. So growing up and getting to, to know black families like that, that are in this industry, um, have reinforced my desire to to want that for me. You know what I mean? It's wow. not it's not something that is a fantasy. It's not it's not a um it's not a unicorn, right? It's something mm-hmm. that definitely exists, it's just not publicized. So regardless of whatever the media makes normal, uh as far as what black men do and how black men are perceived, um I'm always going to be the person that's always going to look to be with or attract um, the right partner that understands my culture, that I don't have to worry about waking up one day is going to call me a wild name, you know, because she was uh, triggered. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's just me. And uh, it's not to say that any of the people I know who do mm-hmm. uh, decide that they want to date, marry, whatever, you know, white women or whatever the case, that's their prerogative. And I'm not knocking that, but I just know it's not for me. Um, so basically what you're saying is you're going to, you, you want to marry a black woman. Oh, hundred okay. percent. That, that's just justice for me. Got um, it. Good to know. Cause yeah. I was like, hey, yeah, I, I, no, I get it. And know, it's something that it's I, a slippery slope conversation. Um, because there's a black woman who lives in LA looking to find that not necessarily looking. Yeah. I'll just say that I'm here. I hope that God attracts what needs to be attracted to me and vice versa. You know, he's preparing my King over there. And then I'm being prepared and that we will one day meet. Maybe it's, maybe it's just my circle. But like I said, all of the, all of my black guy friends that I'm very close with share the same thought as me. Like they'll, they they may entertain non-black women, but they are not interested in. But are they actively, are they actively dating black women? That, and that I can't speak to either. Um, But but the ones, the ones that I'm close to only date black women. The ones that I'm like in my immediate circle, like anyone that you've that you know me offline and you see me with in real life that are black, most likely are dating, only date, would marry, are married to black women. Okay. I wanna hit pause on this because I, I definitely wanna jump back into this, but I wanna take a step back, right? Because we sure. you talked about Denzel Washington, his family and the root of like a strong black family. So I wanted to ask you, like, what were your family dynamics growing up? And, you know, how you're redefining what your family looks like 
with the late passing of your mother, with the idea of what you have as what a strong Black family is. So those are the two questions. Those are the kind of like the two questions I wanted to take a step back and ask you to understand the foundation of how you're going into looking at dating and looking for your one, your partner that's genuinely there for you. Yeah. So um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I come from a Nigerian family. Um, the cultural group that we're from is called the Yoruba people. And mm-hmm. we're kind of all over the place, most, mostly Nigeria, but we're found everywhere from Brazil to the West Indies, Trinidad, like the descendants of slavery, et cetera. So we're all over the place. Um, I would say that our culture promotes a very um, patrilineal, uh, It's very, um, we focus on the nuclear family so much and uh, kinship is like high priority in our, in our own culture um, and extended family is, is, is connected to that as well, right? So it's typical to have a nuclear family where you have the mom, dad, you know, your siblings and so forth. And then you have like a grandparent, both grandparents, you know, living in the same compound or home, right? This is back in Nigeria, I'm speaking of, right? So a lot of um, the ones that are in the diaspora kind of mirror that that belief by having that system Mm -hmm. here as well. So I grew up around my grandparents. I grew up around my uncles, my aunts. I grew up around all my cousins. Um, It's very normal behavior. And what I started to realize is that that wasn't really a common thing with Mm. other... I'm not going to just say Black families because there were... Italian families that I grew up around that were also very family oriented, but the, the, the levels of respect and the dynamics were were very different. Like there's no way I was calling my parents by their first name in any, for any reason. Right. But it's something that I saw when I would visit some of my, you know, Italian, Irish, whatever, non-black friends growing up, they would just call their parents by their first name. And I always thought how, like, how that's mad disrespectful. I didn't understand that our cultures are completely different. One. Two, traditionally in Yoruba culture, um, depending on your religious beliefs, um, I grew up Christian, but I have a, you know, a lot of family, extended family that happened to be Muslim. And for those that are Muslim, some of them um, encouraged polygamy. Um, so some of them have, you know, some of the elder men, grandparents, great-grandparents and whatnot had Muslim. two wives, three wives, mm-hmm. four wives. It really was dependent on what you can afford. It, it's not like, you know, people assume that when uh, the the conversation of polygamy as it uh, relates to African culture is brought up, they think, oh, it's just like the American system where people just have baby mamas everywhere and are irresponsible and just go around getting women pregnant and leaving the responsibility to the mother or social welfare. Absolutely not. It's completely the opposite. So um, my great-grandfather on both sides um, was polygamous. Uh, I have a, a, a shit ton of extended family because of it. Um, but my grandparents were all Christian, so they didn't believe in, in, in more than one uh, partner, more than one husband, more than one wife, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up in a polygamous home, but there's definitely a history of that um, on, on certain, in certain parts of my family. Uh, and it's just that, you know, times changed once the uh, majority of my family converted to Christianity. A lot of the stuff that was um, was okay in generations prior just became, just were just kind of written out. <laughs> yeah. 
And based right. on like your upbringing, how are you upholding your family legacy? Uh, but also how are you defining what you want that that foundation of your strong black family to look like? I mean, my mom, my mother and I, my mom was my best friend, right? So she knew anyone that I was dating seriously, anyone that I was in a relationship, anyone that, you know, I was very serious with, my mother knew about, right? So she was always mm-hmm. praying. She was always giving me advice. You know, did you do this? Are you considering this? You know, if there was any issues, like my partners knew to hit up my mother if there was an issue. And my mother would never tell me, right? She would just be there for my, you know, whoever I was dating, you know, at that point. But I say that as, I say that to say that I've only had very few actual, like, partner, like, girlfriends, um, talked to quite a few women, but as far as like women that I've made my girlfriend, very, very few. So the ones that have had access to my mother, um, even in, in, in the aftermath of her passing, you know, they had more nice things to say about her than they did me. You know what I mean? So it's just a, it's a testament to how, uh, selfless and aware and, um, wise she was. And I think she did her best to pass down everything that she could to me and my siblings. And um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's a lot of knowledge that I gained from experiencing who my mother was and, and, and being able to, to, to get to know how to kind of move as a young Black man in, uh, in the world. And uh, I'm looking forward to passing down her legacy uh, in the form of family, in the form of the nonprofit that we established before she passed, in the form of, you know, my day-to-day interactions with my friends, in the form of my, you know, my intentional behavior, in the form of my business, um, my entrepreneurship, because my mom was also an entrepreneur, right? So there's just all these different things at play when I think about the legacy my mom uh, left behind. And it's still reverberating um, as, as we, as we speak now, there's always something that pops up, like someone reaching out, Oh yeah, I worked with your mom, you know, 10 years ago. I had no idea, you know, that, you know, that this, that, and the third. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, I also had no idea that she did this or donated this or, you know, was on the board of that. Like, thank you for letting me know. And boom, boom, boom. So it's, it's me just kind of being reminded that uh, she was so much to so many, but she also wasn't loud about her, about what she did, right? And I think that's something that I've, I've, I've gotten to learn by, by watching how she moved. Like, I'm not a fan of the fanfare. I'm not a fan of everybody knowing what I'm up to, what I'm doing. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the emptiest barrel makes the loudest noise. Um, I think she, she was a true embodiment of that. And uh, I think for me, that's, that's what's kind of pushed me, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like there's a part of you that kind of has now put up an extra layer for a partner or a woman to truly get to get inside of you? Because you mentioned earlier, there are some self-imposed things that you do that could prevent you from finding that perfect one. Um, Have you found that there's, there's that extra wall that has been put up or have you found that um, you've actually been more open to being more vulnerable and being more in tune with your emotions with people as you're, you know, getting to know them and um, exploring what the possibility of your dynamic or relationship could be. Oh, d- yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yes. Uh, short, short answer. Yes. Um, 
I was dating someone right before my mom passed and we had decided to kind of continue as friends, you know, prior, prior to that, just because, um, you know, it just certain dynamics, you just realize that it's, it's, it's easier to just maintain the friendship than to, uh, to continue along with the disconnects that may, may exist rather than to, to, to remove all access to each other. It's easier to just salvage what's, <laughs> what works as a friendship. I, that's what, that's what I found has worked in the past. And so we decided to do that. Um, and, um, that being said, I think that all the fears that I've, that I've expressed above have definitely complicated my desire to be with, uh, anyone. Um, and, I've learned that sometimes being alone is better than, you know, pouring all of yourself into someone who can't, you know, contain what you have to offer. Right. So um, I've been open to some of the energy, but even with this, uh, this pandemic happening, it's like all of the, the growth that I've been working on and getting to know uh, uh, people and, allowing myself to be more vulnerable and going out on actual dates. You know what I'm saying? Like all that stuff is kind of complicated now because it's like, I've already walked into the situation, not knowing if anyone from our generation will allow me to, um, or if uh, our generation would even allow me to meet someone who I have complete chemistry with, like someone who's my literal person. And I think finding that person, your person, um, uh, I think about that. It's like, what if that person doesn't meet you in this life because they live in, you know, Jamaica and you're always distracted by Miss Barbados or someone from the Virgin Islands or someone from, you know, Ghana, Nigeria, you never connect with your soulmate because you're distracted. Right. That is another one of my fears. Right. It's like, what if I'm just entertaining the wrong person and the right person is there, but I can't even, I'm not even peeping the right person because I'm so distracted by this person that's telling me everything I want to hear or making me feel the things that they think I want to feel. And I'm not making myself, um, I'm not sensitive to the organic chemistries of others that could be a better match. Well, let's unpack this. Let's, let's, let's unpack this because <laughs> first, first behave, I feel like we got back around to that conversation. Two things. So one, the, the statement of I've learned that being alone is far better than pouring yourself into someone who can't contain half of what you have to offer. Um, yes and no, right? Because I think that you deserve the love that you give today. I know you as a person and you are there, as you mentioned earlier in our um, set, in our call, our session is like, you're there for your friends. You make sure like, you know, I'm here for you. I care, like whatever I can do to help, et cetera, et cetera. So understanding that like, Yes, being alone and understanding like there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. So yes, Correct. being alone, absolutely understand that. But at the same time, is it for is it far better than than taking a chance and a risk, you know, on love? Right? How are you going? How are you detecting when someone is truly showing up for you and being there and not being malicious in their intentions? It goes back to that conversation about black men with you know, a high position and a high income that you're not really sure if somebody's really there for you or they just want something from you and being able to decipher that, like, how are you deciphering that? Or are you projecting your fear upon someone who's getting to know you 
And mm. then ultimately uh, uh, removing that opportunity to truly see if that flower, I'm going to call her flower, that flower between you guys, you know, <laughs> that flower, you can water that plant and see if it can blossom. It's kind of like, oh, I really don't know if she's really here for me now, but you know, and I don't want to be blocking my blessings, which ultimately happens with like black men. It's like y'all try to just have y'all options lined up. Mm. So now it's like, why as a woman should I come into this situation and be there the person that you you want me to be when you're still out here exploring your options of someone else being in that position? Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And and I will also say that. With that being said, I can't love who I don't know, and I can't hate who I don't know, right? And That's I think fair. getting to know each other part um, that 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 kind of uh, that's that's the tricky that's the tricky that's the tricky moment because I, I always try to get to know someone before speaking in absolutes. So everything I'm saying is very um, hit or miss because everyone is different, right? And my priority has kind of been when dating, finding someone who brings out the best in me and me finding out someone I could bring the best out of so that, um, you know, I can put I can put my best into them and they can put their best into me. Right. Um, it's more of like a shared reciprocity. And um, also like, uh, man, it's 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 a lot, man. It's a lot. But I I will also go back to my mom because she always said that. You know, an attractive man makes his path his priority in life, right? And she always used to tell me that she fell in love with my dad because he cared more about his goals and stuff more than he cared about chasing any anyone, any woman, anyone, right? So when they connected, she said they connected, right? It was it was undeniable. And I learned early on uh, that getting women is kind of a byproduct of reaching your full potential, right? So I've always tried to focus on my goals, knowing that everything else would come. And and that's kind of just been my MO and it's and it's definitely played out that way. Um and uh I've always kind of treated relationships um as I do investments, right? It's like a lot of people listening to this are are gonna listen to that statement and be like, wait, what do you mean? Right. Um, but many people are that are listening have are dating right now or you know, were dating someone before the the pandemic hit and now things are kind of a little rocky, right? Um and even you, I'm sure you've dated someone that you would consider like blue chip stock if we're using investment speak, right? Ooh. But, you know, maybe a recession hit and you, you, you sold low. You I've been out the game for a minute. You, you and when I say low. I've been out the game, it doesn't mean that I'm not on the market. I'm on the market. I just, to your point, I had that same mentality of, you know, being alone and kind of taking a step back because I was exhausted. I was tired of the results that I was getting in showing up. I would say 100% showing up 100% or showing up my most authentic self and then feeling like it wasn't reciprocated or feeling like, you know, the results of the investment that I put in and the actions that I took in that investment, it just, it, I didn't get the ROI. I was losing yeah. stock. After a while, you kind of like, let me take a break. Let me reevaluate. Let me <laughs> take an analysis and see if I'm putting my investment in the right stocks or Correct. if I need to evaluate, reevaluate my strategy. Correct. Diversify your portfolio. Up in the market. Diversify your portfolio, et cetera, all that. Um, that's why it's good that we're talking about this like that, because even think about a show like Insecure, right? I love Insecure because it addresses exactly what we're talking about, right? So Issa is a, is a character that 
very attractive, right? Very attractive black woman, you know, dedicated to her job, dedicated, she's passionate about her work, maybe not so passionate about her environment, but very passionate about the cause that she works for, right? Um, she's invested in a man in season one that most people would consider to be a bum. A bum. Period. Right? He was but, a she bum. Spent, but she spent years investing in this low quality stock, yeah. right? She's invested, 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 and then all these things happen, and then she sells low, right? She had a low, low quality stock. She cashed stock. out right before the stock was about to hit. She cashed out, reinvested in herself, you know, built on her own self-esteem. She's attracting, you know, on paper, better quality investments. You know what I'm saying? She's, she's, she's changing certain things in her life because she's allowing better opportunities to reach her. Um, and I think the, the, the critique that I see from men who don't really look at dating like investments, they go, how could Issa not, you know, stick it out for Lawrence? And I'm like, Lawrence was a bum, right? Does but y'all he- be sticking it out for us. And that's-, that's the problem that I have in general. Not so insecure. Saying y'all is, is a lot because- Y'all is men. I y'all- didn't say black men. I didn't say white men. I just said men. Well, I'm a man. So when you say y'all, you got, you know, some men, sure, absolutely. But I'm not the not all men guy, but what I will say- Do you cash out quickly? Do you feel, do you, do you cash not. out quickly with someone? Absolutely else? not. I'm not going to invest in anything that doesn't seem like a worthy investment in the first place. Right. So mm-hmm. I think the mistake a lot of people make is they don't have any, again, I keep, I keep trying to connect relationships to investments because they're literally, they should be uh, looked at in the same way. Right. In order to, to, to have a successful investment, you kind of have to know the landscape and know uh, what the portfolio strategy is. Right. Just like we mentioned earlier, you talked about relation, like you talked about portfolio strategy. Um, a lot of women that I know go into relationships going, oh, I can fix this, right? This, is, this, is, this might not be the strongest uh, situation for me, but I can probably fix this or change this thing about him. Or, or you know, if I, if I do this, he'll see that I'm a ride or die, da, 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 da. And they're not really looking at the trends of the stock itself, right? It's like, what is the, who, who else has, has experienced, has experience with this, stock right like what what was their what was their um what was their strategy what worked what didn't work right um and a lot of times they they'll invest two three four years into someone that they don't really know or or they think they know so well that uh or there's like a trauma bond or there's something that's going on that is Mm -hmm. taking away from the actual uh relationship or the success of the relationship and um even if they do break up, like how Lawrence and Issa break up, but they, they're still like, there's this, still these weird things that connect them together, right? Like even in season three, for those who are, are following up with Insecure, there's still these random life scenarios that connect Issa and Lawrence, right? Lawrence has moved on. He's found a little more success. He's, you know, went into, he, he invested in his idea for a tech startup. Eventually that doesn't work out. He settles for working at a tech firm, right? But his financial status has changed so much. Lawrence is almost indis- indistinct, um, indistinguishable from the Lawrence that presented himself right after him and Issa split up. Right. So a lot of people are saying, "Well, Issa was his cr- Issa was his uh, 
Issa was the reason why he couldn't grow into the no. I think that they both had just outgrown each other. Um, I I do think they love each other. I just don't think that they they were. Uh, I think that spark that people have in relationships, that, that butterfly feeling, was gone. Mm-hmm. And I think they needed something to kind of push them to to be the best in themselves. Maybe their love languages aren't the same. Maybe they're not aware of how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that just weren't working. And I think they needed time apart to kind of live life and see that, look, we actually love each other, but there's just certain things about ourselves that we have to compromise and, 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 and fix before we could be uh, together in that way. And they explored the field, right? So, so sure. they, you know, explored the field. They had multiple partners, each, each one of them. Yeah. Similar to Issa and Lawrence, I want to ask you, what does your other relationships with strong Black women look like? And how well, do you take those relationships, how do those relationships impact how you view the strong Black women that you are pursuing as a partner, uh-huh. as an investment? This is a great question. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for this for those that are listening, but this is good. Um, <laughs> 85% of my strongest relationships are with Black women. Uh, and I think that is a result of my relationship with my mother and the women that I grew up with, right? Definitely grew up with a lot of strong Black men around to give me the, 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 you know, the male perspective and to, you know, to, to raise me with all of those um, strong qualities as a man. But I think my emotional sensitivities and my ability to communicate and listen and perceive and just kind of like have a a more sensitive approach to life is definitely because of my relationship with Black women throughout my life. And um, I'm not perfect. Uh, I've definitely messed up because I'm still, uh, you know, learning every day. Uh, And I'm a guy at the end of the day. So we kind of learn a little slower than women about life. Uh, but I will say that um, my relationship with Black women has always been one of um, of valuable exchange. I feel like most of my most valuable life lessons have been by listening to Black women. And mm. I think if more Black men listened Come on. to Black women, I think that their lives would be a lot easier. Um, because at the end of the day, Black women have never the women that I care about anyway have never steered me wrong or put me in harm's way or you know anything like that. And at the end of the day, when everybody else is out the picture, you will always find a black woman there. I, I, again, that's my personal experience. I've always found about it. ready to hold me down, even in the toughest moments. So I can never sit here and disparage black women because I love black women. Um, I love all women, but I have a very special love for black women because of what they represent in my life. And um, I think that uh, it's complicated, man. I don't, I, you know, some people just have different relationships with, with color withstanding, just a different relationship with women. Like a lot of them just don't see women as, uh, as, as they are. I think some of them see them as, as uh, objects to control or mm. uh, um, things, that they're, things that they are owed as men things that they have ownership over um i think that that's the the thing that i see prevalent especially in our generation uh and it it it, it's unfortunate because i feel like if most men knew women the way i know women they there would be a much more respectful dynamic and a um 
an opportunity for them to learn and and be better overall as men. Uh, Do you feel like it is a man's responsibility who has that insight to enlighten their other brothers, their other friends on how to navigate those relationships? Absolutely. But um, I also will say that when it comes to friendships, like I only have friends that are that sensitive and, and um, there are definitely opportunities to, you know, educate my friends and, and, and all that stuff. But, I think that um, that's kind of few and far between. Like any of my actual immediate circle of friends, um, they, they're aware of, you know, things the way I am, right? So we'll distance ourselves from toxic relationships. We'll distance ourselves from unsupportive people. We'll distance ourselves from negativity and, and, and prioritize things like preserving our peace. We do it in different ways, but, you know, the values are, are still pretty similar, right? Um, we, we, we all... Um, try to attract people around us who do actual things, right? Who execute goals. Um, none of us want to be around people who, you know, spend their lives simply judging people or, or, or discussing other people's moves in a negative light. Right. Um, I personally want to be around people who, who dream and support, you know, their, their, their people and do things like tangible things. Um, you know, few friends, less drama, more loyalty. Like there's just certain things that have traveled with me throughout my, my journey. And I think my friends uh, reflect that. Um, all of us have associates, right? We go out, we, you know, you see us at Soul House, we're with people that, you know, that are our associates, but those aren't necessarily our, you know what I'm saying? Shit gets real. I'm not calling random person that's on my Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm hitting up my actual friend, like someone that right. knows my secrets, someone that knows my strengths, my weaknesses. Those are my friends, right? So I think uh, people also need to be kind of sensitive about their the roles they play in, in in others' lives. A lot of people think that they are friends with someone, but they're really associates, right? Like, you're, you know, no, it's for it's real. Levels. It's levels. I agree. You know? and, um, and my associates get the respect that they, they, they get because, you know, that I just treat everybody with, Everybody in my life that 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 I care about, that I acknowledge, I treat with respect. I try to anyway. So whether you're an associate, a friend, a romantic interest, a partner, you know, there's respect is the base, right? So, but it's also something that is reciprocal. So once there is a situation where you realize that that respect is not reciprocating, you you might have to just let that go. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, but what are your negotiables and non-negotiables? You know, partner. Non-negotiables. Uh, privacy is sexy. Keep it between us. Um, okay. Everyone is surrounded by badness. Can you bring peace to the table? Non-negotiables. I meet beautiful people often. How secure are you? Ooh. Right? Ooh. Uh, non-negotiables. Um, consistency is key. If we connect and we have a routine, we have a system, you know what I'm saying? Like, you 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 decide to change up, you know what I'm saying? It's not gonna work. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm always investing in consistency and loyalty, right? So you gotta find somebody that will grow with you and not change on you. That's 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 a non-negotiable for sure. Um they can change, but they won't change on you. You correct. Uh yeah, non-negotiable. You gotta be ambitious. You have to want more than the average person. The average woman out there doesn't want it. You have to want more for for yourself, for us, for your for your profession, for your business, for your family. 
like you you gotta want to be the best and attract the best whether you're with me or not with me and that's how i've always felt about dating i'm always attracted to the woman that wants that is ambitious like she's driven she's determined and not saying that all women are going to be like that all the time but that's why i'm there right to kind of give you that push when you when you have those doubts or when you you know when you when you find yourself not trusting your instincts or you feel like things aren't necessarily going the way you want them to go like that's where your partner you know your partner's supposed to reflect your ambition right so you you choose someone that cares about um you and your goals and your health and your success just like they would their own right mm-hmm. so those are non-negotiables for me um uh you have any negotiables negotiables uh love languages for sure because uh, everyone's love languages are different and i've had to learn <laughs> even, re- <laughs> even recently i had to learn man it's like i have my own love languages i'm not going to share them on this podcast because I, you know, that's, that's for my, I want you to be using that as a weapon against him to get to his heart. Okay. That'd be transparent. You know what I'm saying? Be yourself and everything will work out. Um, (laughs) I would say that my negotiables are, uh, love languages. Um, not everybody knows how to cater to their partner's love languages. And I think those are probably the, the overall, when you talk about negotiables, those are probably the top, um, opportunities to negotiate in your own relationships. It's like maybe you value quality time and your partner values acts of service over everything else, right? Um, maybe you don't really know how to be the acts of service guy or, or girl, right? It's something you would have to learn in order to make your partner feel secure in that relationship, right? So those are things that I feel like um, are negotiables, like discovering... Um, the love languages, you know, the words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. And there's more, but I think that everybody kind of focuses on on, on the five based on the book that came out all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that those are, if anything is negotiable in a relationship, those five love languages would come first. And then you have things like communication, which could fall under quality time, right? So those are things that, you know, I work a lot. Most of the women that I date work a lot. We don't always have the time to sit on FaceTime for an hour. Or so what you're saying is, hold on. So what you're saying is, <laughs> you can't date a woman who's always available and accessible. I I don't think that I've ever really dated a woman that would just always like in a relationship. I don't think I've ever dated a woman that was just always accessible. And I think that a lot of women who are attracted to me are attracted to the fact that I'm not always available. And it's not like. That that fake busy shit is trash. I know a lot of people that pretend to be busy all the time, but they're really fake busy. Like they they've seen me in action. It's like not take your kid to work day, but I've I've allowed my partners to experience me in in action in in some in some cases, right? Where you're seeing that from six or seven a.m. I'm up. You know what I'm saying? I'm checking emails, taking my vitamins, going to the gym, work. You know, doing doing my workout, going to the office, or you know, or I'm heading to the airport bright and early to catch a flight somewhere like running on a now you you ain't you ain't head to the office now you're not you're not getting on no planes i've woken up some mornings thinking that i was going into the office and finding out that my assistant actually booked me a flight somewhere that i had to go somewhere like i had to be at the airport within two hours so you're right? saying you need a woman who understands that you're not always going to be available how do you show her that you're 
can I don't I use the word committed lightly because committed. I'd be ready to move like water, man. That you gotta be a that that you're invested or interested in seeing where that goes in a non-traditional way of what I feel like we grew up in a tradition of the man being able to show you, show you, show you, you know? And at the end of the day, like if the goal is to, is to build a family, right? Like we are financially secure, emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff. Finances are important. So if if I'm making moves to make sure this, you know, we're comfortable, like you got to be able to understand that you got to find, find a way to find security in the fact that everything I'm doing is not just for me, it's for us. Right. So um, and that that means you got to be ready to to understand that the change is going to be constant. You got to be ready to move. If 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 we got to date a woman who makes less money than you, I've typically dated women that have made less money than me. Um, but I've also dated women that have made more money than me. I don't think that the the I think because of where I am in my career, mm-hmm. of course, like you're gonna I, again. I can speak for myself. I've always tried to attract women for their personality or you know their smarts their intelligence their wisdom and their and their beauty right that's definitely in there as well but the priorities to me are usually um things that are less focused on their external because all that stuff is superficial um to me anyways like i definitely all that that shit doesn't matter like okay you know what I'm saying? Like, God forbid something happens, that person is no longer looking as beautiful as they did the day you met them. What, are you going to leave them because they don't look the way they looked when you met them? No. Okay. I'm saying, so I think that all those type of things, you have to be ready to uh, be with someone for all of the reasons that are intangible, right? The, 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 the um, uh, what's it called? The unconditional reasons, right? So... That being said, unconditional love requires you to understand that you got to be ready to move. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's instances where I've, I've almost had to move to England or move to the Netherlands. And if I'm with someone and they can't deal with that, like that could be the reason y'all break up, right? You've, you've invested all this energy into someone that knows your lifestyle, that knows anything, like literally the way you work and the positions you find yourself in can have you anywhere at any time. So they got to be ready to move, but also ready to ready to knowing that you're not, you're emotionally with them no matter where you are. Um, right. And uh, that's, that, the one- that's the complicated part because there's a lot of distractions out there because of social media, you know, this, there's men that are moving like men. There's women that are moving like women. There's, and vice versa. <laughs> they're, they're, everybody's moving however they want to move. There's no rules anymore. Right. So, right. If you're going to date someone, y'all have to be on the same page. Y'all have to communicate. Y'all have to be ready to make concessions and, and uh, compromise. Because if not, y'all, they're going to run into issues. You're going to run into issues. There's going to be some disconnects. And that's how things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Well, what, you talked about sacrifices. What type of sacrifices have you made to get to where you are, um, particularly career and career-wise? Um, what type of sacrifices have you made? What did that journey look like? So this is a story that I know you and very select few of my um, friends are aware of. But when I was, um, I was first kind of getting into the music business, I got an opportunity to move to L.A. and, um, and really kind of get my feet wet in the game and, and sort of like a, apprentice for a well-known music producer for some time. And uh, in doing that, I left Connecticut and I moved across the country to L.A. 
I was in a relationship with someone at that point for four years in Connecticut. So again, we talk about when you love someone, like when, like what are some sacrifices, right? This is someone that I would have completely been like, I'm not doing, I'm not going to LA. Like I have a relationship in, in Connecticut that I, that I'm, that I'm working on building. And this is probably the person I'm going to end up spending the rest of my life with. You know, I was young in love and dumb and shit. Right. So I think she was the one that pushed me to go. She was like, look, I'll be here. Like, I'm not going nowhere. Boom, boom, boom. And I think that's the sort of energy that made me realize that, um, you know, a black woman like that, a woman that thinks like that, that was willing to put, you know, uncertainty in her own relationship and let her man like go chase this dream across the country. Like I couldn't say that if the situation was on the other foot, that I would be able to uh, have that same energy at that age. Right. So it was just even seeing things like that, where she was okay with, you know, her partner moving across the country to pursue his dream. I did that. Mm -hmm. Now where things got complicated was again it's like she 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 made a decision that i that i'm grateful for because if if she, if we didn't agree that that was okay i probably wouldn't be here right now right so it was one thing that led to the other that led to the other that led to the other right so get to la and then you start to realize that maybe some other things that you thought were really solid in your relationship aren't so solid the communication started getting a little you know funky um on, on both sides you know i'm getting acclimated to a new environment she's getting acclimated to the fact that i can't just come over when she calls me and texts me anymore um you know, there's distractions on my side, there's distractions on her side. And again, we're young, right? So I, th I think the proximity to each other when we were, you know, getting to know each other for all those the years prior to me leaving Connecticut, I think a lot of that dynamic changed once I actually left. It's, it's kind of like the quarantine thing, right? It's, it's, you know, 30 days of not being with someone that you love or getting to know, whatever, can complicate things. If you, do, if you guys don't have like, competent communication or like a, a a rhythm or a system that's set up where you guys can communicate effectively with each other and and not project and not be um uh what's it called uh passive aggressive and all those things so basically all that should happen all the passive aggression all of the projections you know i saw somebody post this picture you were in it you were talking to this person in the picture like all these insecurities started to jump out um on both sides. And I think that's what led to us kind of deciding that we needed to take a break. This is back when I thought breaks were a thing. Um, so we took a break and during that break, I later learned that she had began to entertain someone from her past and that someone ended up getting her pregnant down the line and she had a kid for this someone. So I think when that happened, uh, that was the first time that I experienced heartbreak. And I blamed, I blamed myself for a lot of it because I always felt like, well, if I didn't move to LA, then... If you didn't maybe, go chase your dreams, if you didn't yeah, go chase your aspirations, yeah, this would exactly. happen. Correct. And I think because of that, because I was blaming myself, I was hurt that she did what she did. But the rational, you know, the rational Virgo mind in me was like, you know what? I couldn't even really blame her. I wasn't really around. Like there was, there was times where she would hit me and, and really make it clear that she needed certain energy from me and I just couldn't give it to her. Um, so I didn't endorse it, but I understood it. Right. Um, but in understanding it, 
the way that I approached it when I when she finally admitted, because there was a lot that happened before I found out the truth, right? She had lied about some things. She had lied about seeing him. She had lied about being pregnant. All these different things. She lied about uh, being pregnant. I actually I had a dream about her holding a boy, uh, which is where I reached out to one of her friends. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I had a dream, so I reached out to one of her friends, and I was like, yo, this, this is the dream that I had. Like, it's really crazy. And her friend was the one I was like, yeah, I think you and her need to have a conversation. And that, that's what led to um, to me learning that what was happening was happening. Because I had made my plan, like, oh, you know, we're on this break, you know. But during this break, you know, I had realized that, uh, you know, I was fucking up here and I needed to do more of this and do more of that. And I'm ready to do that. You know, I'm coming back to Connecticut. We're going to talk. And that's when she called me. She just broke down crying. And she was like, I have to tell you something. So all of that happening really kind of changed uh my ability to be vulnerable in future relationships because there was a lot of trauma that I experienced in that moment yeah. with again like I had invested so much energy like all the movements that I was making in LA all of the work that I was doing all the relationships that I was building were all investments so that our life later would be amazing it's kind of like you were building your career was going up Correct. and slowly but surely the personal component of it as far as relationships is concerned was deteriorating a bit Correct. at the time. Correct. So it completely contradicted, remember I told you earlier, my mom always used to say that an attractive man takes his path and makes that his priority, right? And how she met my dad and, you know, when she saw how driven he was and how busy he was and da 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 that's how they connected because she knew that he was a provider and he would take care of her and he wouldn't leave her no matter what happens, right? Mm-hmm. I think what I experienced, my, that being my first real relationship, my first experience with love, the fact that my experience was so contradictory to what my mom had raised me to believe about real relationships, mm. I was completely mind fucked. It, it completely destroyed me. And I didn't realize how broken and damaged I was from that experience until I started trying to date after. Like, of course, like right after you go through that, I shut everything down, you know, while and out. Hard is that? Oh, what? I was at every party. I was with, I was wilding, right? That was like the, the wildest, the wildest parts of my life were from that moment in what I would say like 2012, 2013 to maybe about 2015 when I started to slow down a bit and got into, and then started to give the idea of being with one person a chance again. I stopped wilding and being a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll say around the 2015 era, I tried to, you know, be a little more serious, stop wilding and stop allowing what hurt me to be the thing that hurts me in relationships forever. So I started seeing a therapist. I addressed um, the story that I just brought up and we started to even dig deeper to like, okay, maybe why did you handle, why did you handle that breakup the way you did? Cause I clearly didn't handle the breakup healthy at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we start to bring up childhood stuff and you know, how I, you know, things I witnessed in my own and, you know, family upbringing that kind of normalized the behavior that I thought was okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So unpacking all of that stuff, uh, freaked me out. So then I stopped going to therapy. I was like, I'm not ready to deal with any of this shit right now. Absolutely not. But me not being willing to deal with it then. And again, my mom was a social scientist. She dealt with this stuff. She dealt with helping people unpack their traumas and fixing, you know, their issues and and therapy and all that stuff. My mom was an expert in that. Uh, But she always tried to keep her profession 
and her relationship with with her kids independent, right? So she knew mm-hmm. that we would come to her if we needed her for specific things, but she wasn't trying to like over therapize, if that's even a word, like over, you know, offer her herself to us in that way. She was like, I'm here if you need me, but I'm not gonna overdo it. Um, and so I think it took time. To therapy? Oh, no, no. So I did. Okay. Um, I, tried, I tried to date seriously after that. And again, things would go well because, you know, I kind of had this blueprint of here's how a successful relationship works. You got to do this. You got to be consistent. You got to be loyal. You got to be do that. You got to listen. You, gotta, you know what I'm saying? Um, but then I started to realize that I was attracting a lot of women that were in need of their own uh, uh, therapy. Right. Like I was attracting women that I thought that I could fix. I was attracting women that um, were okay, you also needed to be fixed at the same time. 100%. So I was attracting women that were reflect, that were reflective of me. And a lot of people didn't really know that I was also in need of emotional therapy because I was always projecting to the world that, you know, everything is fine. Everything is perfect. And, you know, people people that didn't know me or people that got to know me through the industry would think, oh, damn, Toon's life is so perfect. How does he do it? How does he do that? Mm-hmm. Not knowing that everything professionally, everything, uh, fi- like finance, all that stuff was great externally. But when you got to know me, like for real, for real, you would see that, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not the best communicator. Maybe I'm not the best with um, investing uh, my emotions into things. Maybe I'm worried about getting hurt, so I shut down easily. Maybe, you know, so these are things that I, I, I started to realize um, were opportunities for me. But because I kept attracting women that were like me, they were so much like me that they started to help me see the, the things in myself that I needed to change. Mm. I would date women that would shut down, you know, we'd have a disagreement and they would disappear for a few days. You know, these are things that I would do, but I didn't realize the effect that it had on women when I was wilding during those years that I just didn't give a fuck. Mm. Um, I never addressed, oh, what would happen if you were on the receiving end of that? So I think being, uh, getting to know women that were also able to dish out what I was dishing, helped me refine what I was looking for and help me deal with the traumas that I never dealt with and be able to, you know, go back to a therapist and address these things and, you know, mm-hmm. figure out how I can learn how to get past certain things and, and get rid of those negative um, attributes of myself. So I think since then, things have improved greatly. Uh, and I think the reason why I'm still uh, navigating and I haven't committed to one person yet is because um, it's a few things, man. It's like sometimes sometimes you think a person is uh, that person for you, but you know, maybe you're attracted to some to the idea of a person, or maybe you're attracted to um, what a person can do for you versus what you guys can do for each other. And there's not there's not an even exchange, right? So I think that I'm getting closer, uh, but when it's ready to be and when it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. So I'm not really chasing anything. Um, things kind of f- like fall in my lap, which is great. But that being said, there's a lot, there's some women that think that I'm not interested in dating at all because. They've shot their shot. They've shot their shot. And I'm just like, ah, I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You know, and that's that's something that... But it's okay to be vocal and and communicate and say, like, you know, right now I'm not really that interested or I'm not interested in you. We're not saying it like that. But, like, 
you know what, I really see you as a great friend, but I don't want to take that next step with you out of respect for our friendship to stand third, or I'm really, you know, I think that the honesty and the transparency in those conversations could save a lot of people heartache. I agree. Heartache. And, and <laughs> I 100% agree with you. But at the same time, even when you are the person that's being transparent, look, you are a wonderful person. And I'm grateful for any woman that has done that to me too. Like, mm-hmm. look, like I like you, I fuck with you, but here are the reasons why I don't think we would work, right? You need to have those transparent conversations, even in the moment, as painful as they may sound, you need to have those conversations because there's so much time that you save by just addressing that instead of trying to force something that, that eventually would just make you have regrets. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, regardless of whatever the situation would have been in the moment, I'm grateful that I don't regret anything. Yeah, for sure. having regrets would have been worse for me. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Man, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's still, it's still, I'm still growing. It's a man. process. You're still navigating yeah. this fear, you know, and you take it day by day. I yeah. think quarantine has provided um, an opportunity to really take a step back and look at how we were moving outside, right? Sure. Um, but also getting down to the nitty gritty of what connectivity, look, human connectivity looks like mm-hmm. when we're put in a very um, unique situation where we cannot interact yeah. in the way we are used to interacting and the way we're used to moving. And so um, I think it provides time space alignment for us to see if this is truly what I wanted or did it look, you know, the perception of how things are moving look that way. Do I like the type of person that I was when I was outside, outside, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I didn't, you know, now I have a time to take a step back and be like, who do I want to be when I come outside of this? And and what do I want to attract in my life when I come outside of this? You know, and that that being said, it's like, yeah. And that being said, uh, you know, we've both dated people that are one way outside, but a completely different way when they're not around. People. <laughs> I, and I tend to, to add the luck of the draw, I tend to attract women that, again, perceived you know, professional, a boss, you know, um, like that type of personality. Like, but then when it's just us, like there's a emotional connection, there's a chemistry that can't really be explained, which is great, right? And I think mm-hmm. that duality is also very important for me because I need to know that um, you can fit in both worlds because people think, a lot of people think I'm an extrovert given what I do and because of where they see me and the scenarios that they bump into me. But most people that really know me know that I'm pretty introverted, right? Yeah. I've just learned how to be a social, an extrovert socially, um, you know, because of the work that I do or, you know, the content that I've worked on and stuff like that. But um a woman that's able to understand that duality is very important. Yeah. Very important for me. Well, Sunday, I want to close out the episode. One, I want to thank you for being so open, so vulnerable about your fears and taking us through your journey personally. Cause I think that a lot of people know you professionally, but here on Fearless Kia podcast is really about delving deep into these fears and really unpacking them and having that dialogue in, in, in understanding like where these things stem from, how we're working to overcome them and just being, you know, giving ourselves grace and being kind with ourselves through it all. And mm-hmm. I used to like to close off the episode with a quote that I feel directly ties back to that fear. The quote that I have to close off the episode is from Deepak Chopra. And it goes, in order to live the life that we desire, 
and set the intention for greater happiness and more meaningful connections with others, we have to release the hold that our past has on us. I love that. Yeah. So I want to say to everyone that's listening, thank you so much for, again, listening to the Fairly Skill Podcast. I'm wishing you guys love, light, and again, a peace of mind inside your homes. Tunde, I want to kick it over to you in case you have any last words you want to say before we close out. Just a reminder to... Okay, I'll, I'll give I'll give I'll give two quotes, one for each gender. Um, black men, yep. uh, please choose your queen carefully. Uh, supportive women are a gift, uh, but, and a woman that pushes you is unmatched. Bonus points if she's from your culture. My quote for women. Let's see. It doesn't have to be a quote. It could be spoken from your true, honest, you know, a quick look. Everyone is surrounded by madness. Can you bring peace to the table? Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. That's 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 uh that's that's pretty much it for me. I appreciate you for having me on. This was great. Uh this not it's not often that I open up like this and you know that. Um but yeah, this was great. This was great to kind of dive into uh real conversations and you know, a lot of us don't really get to a place where we're vulnerable enough to discuss things that we're afraid of. Right. And Mm -hmm. like I said earlier, my biggest fear was losing my mom. But once she passed, it was like, okay, what else do I have to be afraid of? So I'm trying to approach life more with being less afraid of the unknown and controlling what I can and being open to the possibilities that lie beyond. Let's get through, let's get through this social distancing, quarantine pandemic nonsense. Uh, We will get through this. Well, and I, and I appreciate you for your time. This was great. No, I appreciate you for your time. And I'm thanking everybody for their time for listening to this episode. <laughs> and it's your girl, Fearless Kia, and Tunde. And we are out. <laughs>